This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This is where non-technical professionals stay ahead of the AI curve. If you want to find AI opportunity and lead AI strategy without learning to write Python, you found yourself in the right place. I'm going to open up today's episode with a bit of a question. Are any of you looking to buy or sell a home right now? My guess is that for those of you selling, you're probably in a pretty nice spot. For those of you buying, you're in a pretty frustrating spot, such as the market right now. And not surprisingly, artificial intelligence is being used to estimate home prices. Our guest this week is one of my interviews from the London area when I was out there speaking in London. This is one of our in-person interviews at a company headquarters. The company is Propertunity. Our guest this week is one of the co-founders and the CTO of Propertunity, Stefan Boronea. Propertunity has raised uh, over $170 million, according to Crunchbase, the last very large round being debt financing. We dive in with Stefan as to where machine learning can add value when it comes to accurately predicting the price of homes now, and importantly, the price of homes into the future. There was a very famous gaffe with Zillow not that long ago. If you look up Zillow estimating home prices AI or something like that in Google, you'll learn all about the hundreds of millions that they wasted on this particular project. So this is certainly not an easy problem. But like many other prediction markets and economic markets, it's an area that will be inevitably more and more influenced by and forecasted more accurately by artificial intelligence. You can think about the big takeaways from this interview in two different ways. One of them is getting a sense of what kinds of data, what kind of features are important to understand the price of a home now and the price of a home into the future. And number two, what does the future look like when both buyers and sellers have access to vastly more accurate data on estimating prices and forecasting prices into future situations? What does that do for the market as a whole? We think about that from the standpoint of buying and selling homes, but also for other kinds of bigger assets as well. Stefan has some great perspective on what the economy looks like under that circumstance, and I think it's a great lens into the future for those of you who are interested in where AI is taking us as a society and as an economy. Luckily, this episode was recorded before I caught COVID. Some of you are aware who are following me on LinkedIn that I was stuck in a four by four room in a London hotel for about two weeks because I caught COVID out there and I couldn't leave. Uh, it was a very expensive illness in that particular respect. And the only thing that kept me sane was the fact that I had a lot of great business meetings. I've got a bunch of great team members. I kept busy on our projects. And I was gladdened with the thought that before I got sick, we got in some excellent interviews. And Stefan was definitely one of those. He's got a lot of good insights in this episode. And I particularly liked the view to the future, which you'll be hearing at the end of this episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and fly right in. This is Stefan Boronea of Propertunity here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Stefan, thanks for being with us here in our UK AI series. Thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about the estimation of home prices. Obviously, we're going to be speaking about how data can be unlocked and this process can be overhauled, but it only needs to be overhauled because it's very antiquated. Can you walk us through what it looks like to value homes today and why there's issues with that? Definitely. So, I think there's two sides of valuing properties. I think a lot of the people that are doing valuations in this space they're doing it just because they want to value the property price right now, right? So are you getting a good deal or not? But part of what lenders are kind of missing is this side of looking into the future and understanding what the future value will be. 
So a lot of that is kind of based on information and data that's that's kind of being left on the table, right? So looking at forecasting house prices is what we do here at Property Cool. Okay. So what you're what you're getting at is that people are looking at the snapshot, but part of as a lender, part of it is okay. Is this home going to be worth? Is there a likelihood this will be worth forty percent more in ten years versus what have you? Right. Right. So it's it's that growth, but it's also kind of the risk that's attached to that individual property, right? So a lot of the lenders that are they're doing they're looking at uh, risk. They're looking at risk from a from a user's perspective, from a borrower's perspective, yes. but. What is the risk attached to an individual property, right? When you're lending some money, you're not just lending based on the borrower paying you back, but you also want to see whether that that investment will, will perform well in the future. Yeah. In terms of how these valuations occur today, I think from the perspective of an individual home buyer, you know, you can look at your little Zillow score, and I'm sure they have their algorithms. Um, Zoopla here in the UK, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, people will look at what is sold for what price on this street in the last, you know, year exactly. or two or things like exactly. that. W- what are kind of these old school methods that are the common rules of them? Yeah, uh, so so there, there's companies that are doing AVMs or valuations, so automated valuation models. So these are looking at, as you said, previous prices and trying to create an index of what the actual value would be yeah. right now. But that's, again, only giving you sort of a, a side of the, the bigger picture, right? If you're only looking at the value right now, you don't have that visibility into the future. So I think this is what we've brought to the market and we've created this this technology to understand price growth and what are the factors that are driving that price growth, right? So is it is it businesses in the area? Is it demographics changing? Is it different types of people, people uh, moving in? Is it, I don't know, infrastructure projects that are that are being developed there? So all of these kind of tying into what prices will look like in, let's say, three years or five years or whatever, whatever horizon we want to look at. Got it. So yeah, I guess this will steer us pretty naturally into where things are going. So you guys are in the business of applying ML to this problem set and thinking about future valuation of homes, current valuation Correct. of homes at a more granular level. Yeah. I think many companies or uh, many people would wish they could do that. I think Zillow has had a recent very famous flop at making Correct. an attempt at doing exactly this yeah. here in the United States. It's been a, a big running gag on Twitter for the last little while. Yeah. You know, when you think about kind of the most important facets of data and where you guys have focused to actually make this kind of your core business, what's been key here? I mean, what's been key to, to getting more granular on pricing than the common rules of thumb? I think it's always with with machine learning, it's always about data, right? So if you have good data, then you'll you'll come up with, with some good outcomes. If you have crap data, then you'll have crap outcomes, right? And I think that's what people generally misunderstand is and they're they're just they're just throwing machine learning or artificial intelligence as a as a sort of a solution to all problems whereas it's it is a tool it's a very powerful tool but it's only a tool when you have the right data right so for us it's been over the the last 6 years it's been building up on those data sets understanding exactly what are those those factors again that I, I was mentioning before and then trying to uncover even even more granular data sets, even better data sets, right? And the more we can have a view of that, the better the outcomes, the better the accuracy of the models, right, essentially. And the way we've been seeing this, I think a lot of the companies are using technology to only drive decisions that are benefiting themselves 
and that's good, right? From a from a business standpoint, and Zillow is is an example of that. Flipping houses in areas that they believe are going to grow. However, we believe that most of that information should be trickled down to the user, right? For us, it's always been giving users those tools that, let's say, a more savvy investor would have just to uncover what those areas of growth are, for example, what properties they would be looking at and making that comparison, for example, if they have to do, if they have to choose between one property versus the other. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there are firms, I think they're trying to democratize this stuff, quote unquote, as part of their product. Obviously, it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's where you guys are headed. You mentioned kind of clean data, having good data. I think the stuff that feels very concrete is sort of what homes have sold and for what price. Probably that stuff is relatively clean, right? My estimate is that there are records of that. But of course, the things that influence home prices are so much more varied than that, as you know, much better than I do. You know, you mentioned the businesses in the area. There could be things around school systems. There could be uh, noise levels. I mean, Lord knows. And there's also completely arbitrary, strange things that occur that, of course, nobody can predict. So it does feel like there's a a real art and science beyond let's get a quality data set to say what even matters, you know, because what is the data set on types of businesses in the area, types of businesses likely to build in the area, which types do shoe stores and, uh, you know, like (laughs) Asian coffee shops raise the general home price over five years. This stuff is wildly complex to to estimate, where do you even begin, before you think about quality data, where do you even begin to think about what data? Well, there's some proxies that you can use for for what is the desirability of the area, right? So you you look at, for example, how long a property has been on the market, right? You look at volatility of the prices in in certain areas, and that drives, that can help you drive that that kind of decision-making. But yes, as you mentioned, there there are very exotic data sets that you can look at. um, And in some cases, you can have them. In most cases, you can't. If you're looking at a bigger city like London, let's say the data set is quite is there, right? You can you can probably partner with somebody and you'll you'll get, for example, footfall on high streets, right? You'll you'll get all those data about, I don't know, drugs in sewage in different areas yeah, right so you yeah, can you yeah. can go into those kind of those kind of very nitty-gritty data sets but for most of the places it's slightly less volatile right so you can you can have a bit of a, a better understanding of what the trends are i think it's mostly around looking at the data sets that nobody is looking like even if we're we're taking infrastructure projects for example it's a very clear correlation between an infrastructure project let's say a new train line that's opening up and how that is going to impact those areas right so you can look well in advance, five years in advance, and, and get that information. Yeah. And it, it, again, as you mentioned, it's using data sets other people aren't. I mean, in, in 5,000 ways, it's it's a lot like the wealth and asset management space, right? Where I'm a hedge fund, you're a hedge fund. I'm trading commodities, you're trading commodities. Uh, I'm going to use this satellite source to look at the shipping like volumes between these two ports. And you're going to look at the like the fuel silo volumes from your satellite data. We're going to see who it, this is. This is kind of an arms race of kind of who can have the hidden data sets that truly proxy for what the stuff is. Yeah. It feels like you're in that game. Yeah, it is. Let's say one of the advantages that we have is in this kind of antiquated 
market, there's not that many players, right? There's not that many players there that see the value of the data, that see the value of the machine learning algorithms, that see the value of bringing in that forward-looking view over the, the housing market. And I think also this is a bit of a slow moving market right if you're looking it's not it's not high frequency trading right it's not something that you need to sample over milliseconds it's easy to work with data sets that are months or even years sometimes that give you a bit of an understanding of of what that shift is going to be right people's perception of a certain a certain area doesn't change just overnight unless there's some horrific crime or something that that kind of dictates that. But, and obviously you can't predict that. We don't have a magic crystal ball to look at the future and say, oh, this is what's going to happen. But we can look at those trends and analyze logically what are the factors that are influencing that that trend. Yeah, talk a little bit, maybe one or two short questions here to bring us towards a conclusion, but there's so much to unpack about this unique use case. Talk a little bit about the, interaction between man and machine, because again, to use the wealth management analogy, probably you're not going to take that satellite data and then just have the AI make the decision. Okay. Yeah. Great. Buy, buy at this price, sell at this price. There's going to be a human that can, can look at sure. the news. They can look at historicals. Sure. They can think about a conversation they had last week. They can scratch their chin and then can pull the trigger on it. I would imagine in the home space, maybe there's a bit of that too, right? There's, especially for maybe markets that matter a lot to you guys, maybe there's a, a bit of human effort sort of in the loop too to make these judgment calls. What's the balance there? Yeah. So in, in terms of opportunity and the opportunity loan application process, if we're, we're going back to, to our product, which is this, this equity loan that helps first-time buyers get on the housing ladder, primarily what we look at is, is two factors, right? So in terms of risk, you have two factors. One is the buyer and the other one is the property. So we're looking at eligibility over the the buyer and eligibility over the property. Now, when we're looking at the property itself, there's an automated side of things that streamlines most of the application process up to a point. And then there's also a check that a actual human will make, right? But that's later down the tunnel. You want to you wanna clear out as much of the properties that we wouldn't lend on, for example, before somebody applies to it. And obviously, you'll, you'll have a double check for that a human does. Yeah, okay. Final question to think about here is maybe how different markets vary. I imagine that, you know, as you had mentioned, London, you have all kinds of exotic data sets, you know, yeah. drugs and sewage, for example, exactly. very nuanced, niche kind of interesting things that probably in uh, many of our little hometowns that we grew up in, we, did, we wouldn't have Not that much to. Yeah. Not that much. So is there sort of a, have you folks had to think about kind of bespoke strategies per city, per region, or is it maybe based on city and size, there's kind of a general way we'll, we'll attack it if it's over a million residents versus whatever. I mean, how, how have you had to tailor things because it does feel like there's so many, even neighborhood level, never mind yeah. zip code level, yeah. alterations. How does yeah. that factor in? Yeah. So so the advantage to our models is that they're they're pretty granular. So they're looking at street level or even postcode level. And in obviously in bigger cities, there's a lot more volatility, as I was mentioning before. So that means that you need you need those kind of data sets to distinguish between area growths a very granular level. In smaller cities or in cities where 
the market is a bit more stable, a bit more easier to predict, you won't need those data sets, those, those kind of special data sets to, to give you that, that fine granularity. So we usually take a different approach for, for smaller cities. We also look at what is the confidence of our, of our predictions. So when, when we're giving out a prediction and we're not very confident, let's say it's in, in the middle of nowhere, yeah, without, yeah. don't have enough data sets, then the models, they, they need to be explainable. We need to understand what's happening behind the black box, right? So, so that's where our, our verification process and our analysis, our post, post model analysis comes into play where we can say, okay, well, we're not very confident about this area. So we're just going to exclude it from the kind of properties that we will land on. Got it. So yeah, I guess part of the strategy per region, zip code, what have you, will also, it sounds like be the, the confidence ratios. Hey, you know, we, we feel great about this. And it sounds like in your, you folks have the ability to click and drill down. Well, why are we confident? Okay, here's the factors that seem to track Correct. well over time. Correct. And then another region, well, here's the data we don't have that really we would need. That's right. Yeah. And, and also just kind of giving a bit of an understanding of, is that an area we would lend on just based on the growth patterns and what, what we, we expect to see there? Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, well, hopefully this has given our listeners here a bit of a kind of forecast as to where the future of this space is going. It does feel challenging to think about a future 10 years from now where this isn't on some level the norm, right? Um, for sure, for so. sure, especially with the, with the more recent events. I would say uh, predictability is not something that, that you can take lightly. Definitely not. Definitely not. We've seen that in almost all the major cities here in the States. I imagine it's the same in the UK. So I know that's all we have for time on this episode, but Stefan, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and a big thanks to Stefan for being able to share his ideas with us here. If you liked this episode, I do want to tell you we have another episode recorded with Stefan for our AI in Financial Services podcast. It's going to air in about a month and a half, if I'm not mistaken. It might be two and a half months. We're going to have to look at the content calendar here. But Stefan is going to be on with us again on our financial services show. Be sure to go on Google, type in the AI in Financial Services podcast, or go to Apple, go to Spotify, go to Google Podcasts, wherever you download your podcast, type in the AI in Financial Services podcast and make sure you're subscribed there. It really does mean the world that you are a listener here. I hope you're a subscriber here. And the AI and Financial Services show is where we go deeper and deeper into both use cases and trends for FinServe. We talk not only with startup founders, but with leaders in global financial services organizations who have an up-close and personal take as to where banking, insurance, and wealth management are going. So if you want even more info about where the future is taking us there and another great interview with Stefan coming up relatively shortly, be sure to check out the AI and Financial Services podcast. Again, find it on iTunes, find it on Google Podcasts, wherever you do listen. I appreciate you being here as a listener, and I look forward to catching you next week. Be sure to tune in on Monday for our AI Success Factors episode, and I will catch you then.